you definitely need to spend some time watching the videos before you post. TikTok is a very different culture from the other social media apps. There are sort of some expectations there. And if you can if you can fit in with the culture, your videos will do much better than if you say just take something from Instagram and transfer it over to TikTok. Welcome back to the So Far podcast, the podcast for starters by starters, where we bring on guests from various industries who are all in the early stages of their current venture to help you guys with uh, some stories and some insight and advice. And I do want to preface this episode by saying that because it was uh, conducted through Zoom and it was the first time I was doing uh, a an interview over the internet, there, we had some connection inter- uh, issues and uh, some technical difficulties, but it's still a great episode. And I highly recommend that you give this a good listen and take some notes even. Uh, she is Chevelle has got some great uh, points on TikTok marketing, how to grow that, also how to run a beekeeping business and also just other stuff like how to be an entrepreneur and do what you love. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Chevelle, thank you for being on the on the show, for being on the podcast. Um, it's, uh, it's lovely to have you. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to join. I'm really excited. Yeah, awesome. So why don't you just uh, start by uh, letting letting us know what uh, who you are and uh, what you do? Sure. So my name is Chevelle Stevens, and I own an apiary, which is a bee farm. It's called Revival Queen Bees, and I own that with my husband. We produce queen bees for beekeepers to use in their hive. We also produce honey and do a couple other little things here and there. Um, but I was traditionally a biologist, and then. I met my husband, Glenn, while studying in New Zealand abroad, and he was a beekeeper, and I had always wanted to start my own business, so we kind of put two and two together and got started on the beekeeping adventure. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, why don't you explain a little bit more about uh, uh, your the beekeeping business? Uh, well, I guess you sort of have two businesses uh, in one, uh, the uh, beekeeping business and uh, the one where you Uh, help uh, breed queens, correct? Yeah, so one of the great things about beekeeping is there are a lot of different ways that you can make money. Uh, There's a lot of different products that the bees produce. So they make honey, they make wax, propolis, and pollen. Those are all things that you can sell, and they're products that are fairly high in demand where we are. Um, On the other side, you can go for breeding bees or breeding queens. So we chose um, to start focusing on queens because there wasn't a huge supply of locally bred queen bees in uh, my province, Alberta, Canada is where I live. Um, and that's, that's a problem because a lot of our queen bees are coming in from climates that are very different to ours. So they are not adapted to our cold winters and they're not adapted to our conditions. And so if you take a queen that's not prepared to handle our harsh winters and you put it into a hive, the hive is not going to be as strong as a queen that sort of was bred here and adapted for our conditions. And that does have a negative impact on the industry. Um, Beekeeping is a big industry in Alberta and there's a lot of hives here. And so it's important that we keep the hives healthy so that the industry stays healthy. And we wanted to make a difference in the local industry. So we figured um, queen bees is where we could help. It's not a skill that everybody has to be able to produce and breed them. takes a bit of practice, but my husband did grow up breeding queen bees in New Zealand. So we already had the knowledge base. We also had the passion because we are both biologists. 
-hmm. And that was the direction that we always wanted to take it. And we did start with producing honey and we do, we do still produce honey. Um, but we kind of primarily use that as a way to spend some time getting to know the industry, getting to know honey customers and also using it as a way to build up our business because to produce Queens, you have to have a fairly large size apiary. Um, and we didn't have a lot of money when we started because we started this business in the last recession. So mm -hmm. we had to make sure that we were smart about it and that we were building slowly. And honey was a great way to do that because it was a way that we could bring in income basically as the first year that we started. Wow. Amazing. Well, there's like a lot to, to unpack there, but, um, let's, um, well, let's go back to, uh, like really early, uh, uh like early childhood, uh, you, you know, you guys both, you know, both you and your husband, you, you love, uh, you have a passion for, for biology. Like where did this, this passion come from? Have you always, uh, had, had, uh, like an interest in, in, you know, uh, animals or biology or anything like that? Yeah. So it was definitely something that I was always passionate in from the time, earliest time that I can remember. I was always interested in animals and, when I was younger, my mom would always uh, show me picture books about sea creatures and animals. And I was always interested in having pets. So I've had pretty much every pet you can think of, anything from giant millipedes, hermit crabs, ferrets, dogs, cats, all that fun stuff. Um, and so it was never a question for me whether or not I would be involved with animals. Uh, so I did focus on studying biology and took that route um, and then got into industry and realized that my passion for owning my own business was probably going to stop me from fully enjoying working mm -hmm. for somebody else. So I wanted to combine the two. And it was the same with my husband. He was born into a beekeeping family. And I'm, mm. my guess is that that would be where his passion for animals came from as well. So right. he studied biology in university. That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. But it was just never a question for either of us that that was what we wanted to do. So... I think a lot of that was definitely from early childhood experiences from our parents kind of immersing us in that culture. Right. And were you, uh, did you have a particular interest in, in uh, bees or beekeeping before you had uh, met your husband or your, I guess, then uh, classmate? Uh, no, actually. So or did I he had just sort of rope you into it? Yeah, he, I mean, it was an interesting development. So I did take a couple entomology classes in university, which is insect biology. And I did find them surprisingly interesting. I never had an interest in insects before that. And I was actually afraid of bees. So, you know, I had spent some time with him in New Zealand at his parents' house, and they had asked if I wanted to come see the hives. I wasn't interested at the time. But then when we kind of got when we got back uh, from New Zealand during the recession we and we sat down to try to figure out where we wanted to go I it kind of clicked that hey you know about bees do you think you could show me a little bit about a hive and let's see if that's something that we could pursue and he did so we got a couple hives and he showed me around and I was instantly in love it was incredibly fascinating there's so much going on in a hive that most people don't even know about. And as a biologist, that really just piqued my interest. So it was just the complexity of the social structure that they have, as well as just the magic, essentially, of how the whole thing works together really sucked me in. And then I was almost almost instantly just not afraid of them anymore. Right. Oh, wow, cool. So could you uh, unpack the, the story of, of, uh, 
of like how y you and your husband met a little bit more. Uh, I'm a little bit interested in that. Sure. So I was studying my master's degree in New Zealand and I chose New Zealand uh, because I had studied abroad there in my undergraduate degree and I had friends there and I love that country. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing place. And I also wanted to study marine biology. So I live in the prairies mm -hmm. in Canada. There's no ocean here. Right. Uh, so I thought, you know what, let's combine both. Let's do my schooling in New mm -hmm. Zealand and then I can get back to meet some of my old friends. And he was just finishing up his undergrad and my research group was looking for uh, somebody to help out just with the master students experiments. So he kind of started helping me out, working for me. And we spent obviously a lot of time together. We were out at the at the uh, on the coast and, you know, you just kind of get to talking and we just instantly clicked, I guess. Right. Just both love just talking about animals. Yeah, and you know, we both love things that other people would find terrible. Like I worked in an estuary, which is a really muddy portion of the coast. And we would be out there at midnight. There's eels swimming around us. It smells like sewage, but so, we it just love sounds that, romantic so. to me. It's I don't so, know what you, I don't so know what you're talking about. It sounds like the perfect first date. Exactly. And I think it was those experiences that really bonded us. Just we we just love being in nature and things that people would think are absolutely awful. We love them. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's not uh, all the time that I get. Um, actually, I think you guys might be the first um, uh, like couple uh, that runs a business together um, that I have have on, on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, that's very cool that um, that you guys were able to you know, find the person who you're able to start a business partnership and then also, uh, uh, you know, life partnership uh, with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, going back to uh, you mentioned that you had a, like a strong passion for for uh, starting your own business. Uh, where did that come from? How, how long ago has like did you first realize that like, oh, I'm maybe feeling a little bit different than other people not wanting to, to work for someone? I think the when I was in grade school, I always knew that I liked to be the one that was creating the projects. I liked to be the one that was sort of managing them. And I really enjoyed um, overcoming obstacles and working with other people and sort of directing them to achieve goals. And that was the first kind of hint that I had. But ever since I was a child, I just had a, I had a thought in my mind that maybe I would like to be a business owner. But I went the university route because, you know, that's what we were right. taught to do. So, yeah. and I did enjoy it. Um, I thought that I enjoyed it because it was biology based. I was happy and I just thought, well, I'm doing what I love and that's why I'm happy. So I continued forward. But then once I got into the workforce, I kind of realized that I did love the biology, but what I liked the most about university was that I felt like I was my own boss. I felt like mm -hmm. I was in charge of my own destiny I could go to class if I wanted, I didn't have to, but right. basically how hard I worked determined where, what my success level would be. Oh, okay. And I liked, I liked having the freedom. I liked that I could choose what I wanted when I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't very long into my career, maybe only a couple of weeks in, that I realized maybe I had gone a little bit the wrong path. So it was almost immediately that I started thinking about, okay, what can I do? to start my own business um but you know we got we got going with life and it was about a year later that the recession started to hit and because we worked in oil and gas we were hit particularly hard by it 
so we took that as an opportunity to kind of reset and think about, you know, are we happy with what we're doing and can we change it? And that was when we took the leap. And to me, that was one of the best things we've ever done. When I'm working on the business, I'm happy. It's, it's the creativity. It's the fact that you don't have to, you know, if you want to do something, you can just do it. And mm-hmm. I've yeah, never been happier than I am when I'm working on my business. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. So, you know, you, you had mentioned that uh, you actually discovered that you want to, like university was kind of the catalyst that sent you thinking, oh, maybe I should be on a slightly different path. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then, and then you ended up still going to uh, work for someone. Uh, but then that's when you had confirmed, you're like, okay, this is really not what I wanted. Yeah, it was, you know, I think it was a mixture of you always hear, oh, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I knew that I loved biology and I knew that I was happy studying biology. So I just didn't see why I wouldn't be happy working. I knew I had jobs throughout university um, that weren't related to biology and I was miserable at them. I was, I hated them, but I just Mm -hmm. thought, well, that's because I'm not working in biology. Once I work in biology, everything's going to be better and I'm going to be happy working for somebody else. And I felt even at the time when I was working at these other jobs, I would kind of express to people how much I absolutely did not enjoy it. And at that point, I think I kind of started to realize that my disdain for that was stronger than the average person. And so going to university kind of, yeah, like I said, it was a little bit confusing. But once I realized uh, when I got into my career and I started, I noticed a couple weeks in, I kind of started making deals with myself. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, you only have to stay here for this many years then you can train, then you can change. And maybe while you're working there, you can start working on something else. I was always kind of looking for a plan to get me out. Mm -hmm. And the only time that that doesn't happen is when I'm working on my business. And for me, that is just to be happy going to work and loving what you do, which is what happens for me when I'm working with the bees. That's worth everything. Right. So I think uh, the the lesson for for uh, people listening is, you know, uh, very much listen to yourself and, and how you're you're feeling uh, when you're doing these different things, uh, especially the things that take up so much of your life. Um, it, uh, people just often uh, will think, uh, well, you, you know, most people hate their jobs, so why can't I? Exactly. But, but you know, you want to listen. If you hate your job, re- really, you're spending 40 hours out of the 168 hours that you that you have and then like uh another 40 of those hours another uh 70 of those hours or whatever uh is spent doing you know sleeping and eating so really you don't have that many hours that you you have uh to yourself exactly exactly and you know for me it was never acceptable that i would be unhappy miserably unhappy for Mm -hmm. eight hours a day for the rest of my life it's just I needed to try something else. And you do hear that a lot out there. Unfortunately, a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's work. Nobody likes their work. But I do think that it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And at least we can try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And if we're passionate enough and if we're smart, we can really change our future for the better. I think happiness is worth so much. You know, although we do need money, happiness is also important. And there needs to be a trade-off. And I think a lot of people are focusing too much on the fact that they have 
money rather than maybe they're miserable, but we can find it. We can find a balance. Right. Excellent. And so, uh, did you get a, a, you know, a lot of support from your family and friends that you want to venture off on your own or did you face any sort of pushback? You know, we've been really lucky. I have heard a lot of stories about entrepreneurs having a lot of pushback from the people in their life, but my family has always been very supportive. You know, they help out whenever they can. Um, my friends have been much the same. Of course, there is a bit, entrepreneurship is a little bit of a lonely journey. It is a lot more work than I could have ever imagined. And it does take up a lot of my time. So it does become harder to see the people that we love as much as we would like to. And it does take a toll on relationships. And that is definitely one of the struggles that I still work through is, you know, trying to make sure I find time for these people who have been so supportive for me. But it is definitely something that I would mention. Um, you're not going to have as much time. And that also I think, is as important as working on your business. Uh, of course, assuming you want to maintain those relationships. That's it's great that you have have that support system that, uh, you know, not everyone has. Uh, it's from the people that I've spoken to. It's been a range, you know, uh, some people have, you know, yeah, very supportive parents and then other people uh, have, you know, very strict parents. And so they're oftentimes working like a full time job in order to please their parents. And then they're working uh, the business, which is, you know, for themselves in order to just sort of keep that relationship going. Um, but it's great to hear that uh, you, you have that um, that support system. Um, so uh, regarding the, uh, the the business itself, um, you know, it's such a such a niche thing. And it's it's so cool. I, I would never think of that like, oh, uh, you know, having to breed queen bees. But when I think about it, yeah, it makes sense. Someone's got to do it, especially, you know, you, you're you guys are up in uh, northern Alberta. Uh, right. And so, uh, yeah, like that's I mean, it's the most north uh, city or metropolis city in in North America. So, yeah, so, yes. there, are, there are some challenges for sure. Um, and never in a million years that I think I would end up as a beekeeper. It was never even on my radar. Um, but, you know, it was just it was kind of just a serendipitous combination of where we live, because where we live is one of the best places to uh, keep bees in the world. Uh, we have long daylight mm. hours. We also have really, um, we have a lot of crops here. So the bees produce a lot of honey. The winters are tough, but we do mm -hmm. make up for it in the summer. And so the combination of our location, uh, my husband's expertise and our passion and sort of the needs of this local industry all just kind of came together and everything is really flowed nicely in that sense. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just as unexpected for me, <laughs> but you know, it is, it's, I'm loving it and it's a great way that we can actually make a difference to the, the entire industry and that's one of the reasons that I'm passionate about it. What is like a, a typical week in, in your guys life look like? Um, I know it can you know vary so wildly but you know just like a typical week um, maybe start off what a typical week in the summer would look like and then a typical week in the winter would look like because you said that those are a little bit different. Yeah, so they are very different. In the summer, uh, we are very busy actually actively working with the bees. So coming up in spring here, we, we have to feed the bees because they kind of become more active before the flower sources are ready. So we're feeding them things like pollen, we're checking for disease. And then in the summer, we are breeding the queens. So 
every single day we're at the hives. We're also checking on the hives to make sure that they're doing all right. And you have to make sure they have enough space because if they don't have enough space in the hive, the colony gets too big. They'll swarm and then half the bees leave. They take a bunch of the honey. Well, sometimes more than half the bees, but that's a very expensive mistake. So right. always just staying on top of the bees, making sure that we're conforming to their schedule because they're not going to conform to ours. And amidst that and queen breeding, we're also usually in a couple farmers markets every week. So we do like to be involved in the community. Um, uh, we do sell honey at the markets. And we try to offer just support to other um, new beekeepers where we can. So we'll spend some time on the phone answering questions and kind of trying to give back in that way. And so summer is insanely busy for us. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're still trying to keep active on social media at the same time. And then when winter comes, we do have a couple Christmas markets that we take part in. Um, but that is kind of really the time that we have to sit down and do our business plan for the next year. Because we really only have one shot at growth every year. If we want to get more hives, we have to get them sort of within a one-month period in a year. So we have to be well prepared. We have to make sure we have the equipment. We have to make sure we have the money sorted out. And we have to make sure we have the time slot available right. to have this one month of intense growth. So we typically will have a slow month in January, kind of we're winding down from Christmas markets, but that's about it. We're either planning in the winter or we're working hard in the summer. I got a little bit curious with the uh, beekeeping and I just went on the went down a rabbit hole on the internet and it is hard. It it looks super difficult. I've seen some videos. This guy he yeah he started it as a hobby in his backyard or in his um in in his property and uh, it took him like a year to figure out how to get just a little bit of honey out of it. And yeah, it's like you know just as hard, if not harder, than working with other animals or livestock, right? Because you you're working with this whole ecosystem basically. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people who just get started don't realize that you can't just throw a hive in your yard and it will completely take care of itself. There are diseases that we need to contend with right. and there's a lot of husbandry that needs to happen. And so mm -hmm. that's why we tell everybody, if you want to start beekeeping, make sure you take a course. Uh, most places will have a one or two day beekeeping course you can take mm -hmm. um, and that will help a lot. It's better for the bees. It's better for your wallet because beekeeping is also very expensive. So it's really, I mean, it's heartbreaking already when the bees don't survive, but like financially, you can take a pretty hard blow if you right. don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it seems pretty intense, but uh, yeah, sorry, you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say I was very lucky. My husband already had a very solid knowledge base yeah. about beekeeping. He had to make some tweaks for when we, when he moved to Canada. So we had about right. a year of trial there, but after mm -hmm. that, you know, we're still, we're still even learning, but I can't imagine being thrown into this without right. um, having a mentor. Right. So he just sort of took you under his wing, uh, pun intended. <laughs> yeah. And it was also really great timing because when we first started the business, there was a job opening at Alberta Agriculture uh, mm -hmm. for a bee inspector. So if you're kind of moving hives around the country, you need to get them inspected to make sure that they're free from disease. So he worked for Alberta Agriculture and through doing that he was able to learn a lot about the nuances of beekeeping in Canada and um, you know there were some great people who worked there and they kind of let us in on some of the tips and tricks and that made all the world of difference yeah. uh, for us. Wow it's great that uh, you know 
uh, you're able to that he was able to to come across that opportunity because it doesn't seem like a job that is uh, kind of everywhere. It seems like a very uh, a very specific job opening. Yeah, we were actually really surprised it even existed, and we found it on the most random website too. You know, it wasn't posted on the Alberta website when we found it. It was just kind of in like um, our equivalent of Craigslist. It was it was, it was just hidden. It was on and- Kijiji. Kijiji, yeah. It was on Kijiji and, you know, the types of jobs that are posted on Kijiji aren't normally yeah. in here. So <laughs> we saw it and we were like, what is this? And just thought, you know, even if he if he's going to take a pay cut, I think the knowledge gain is going to be worth it. Right. And it 100% was. I mean, if you can accelerate your knowledge and your learning at the start, it's really going to be a big help. Right. I mean, if you're starting something that you don't know a lot about, I would say Mm -hmm. definitely find a mentor and definitely, you know, offer to either work for someone or volunteer for someone who's doing what you want to do. Because this at the start, there was so much time spent on learning. And if you can, if you can accelerate that, it's really going to help you grow your business a lot faster. Awesome. Well, yeah, the the reason I brought that up is because, you know, it it seemed like a very happenstance kind of serendipitous thing. uh, And, you know, of course, uh, hard work and smart work is uh, very important to to uh, business ownership and entrepreneurship. But sometimes we just we forget about the the luck portion of of things. You know that that the fact that um uh the, that the two of you had met in in uh, in school and um you know the of course the unfortunate fact that um, you guys were hit hard by the uh, oil, uh, the oil recession. Um, and, uh, and then the fact that you guys were able to get this, uh, find this, um, uh, be inspector, uh, job that seems very niche. Um, and so, yeah, like what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, you know, do you, do you feel lucky like sometimes or do you, uh, cause I know that there's kind of that push and pull between people saying, oh, uh, uh entrepreneurship is only about hard work. There's no luck involved. And. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's definitely, I mean, you need a mix, right? You need to be right place and right time, but you also need to be the right person. And so Mm -hmm. I have thought a lot about this because it does seem like, you know, we keep falling into these serendipitous situations. And I think some of it for sure is entirely luck. But I also think that if you've placed yourself uh, in the right position and you've made a smart decision, you're going to find that these things start to fall in place as you go. And I think that that's just sort of a side effect of the fact that you've made, you've chosen a path that makes sense for, for you and your world. And whereas if you're kind of trying to force something that maybe you're not passionate about or something that's not, doesn't really make sense for either you or for where you're located, mm-hmm. I think you're going to, you're going to hit a lot more roadblocks. And I think, I don't know if it's luck or if it's just the fact that it's, that's just, what happens when you found something that you perfectly align with. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. And mm-hmm. I mean, I hope it keeps happening because it's been, it's been tremendous for us. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, go, okay. So going back, uh, you had mentioned that in the winter time, you uh, also sort of boost up your, uh, uh, your social media and uh, yeah. So I noticed that you have uh, over a hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Uh how did you guys come across that? Uh, like, uh, did, did you just decide to start dabbling on it? Or was it a very intentional strategic move? Or like, you know, uh, walk us through that a little bit. Sure. So I started listening to kind of business minded podcasts last summer. 
And of course, I came across Gary Vee. Mm -hmm. So listen to some episodes that he had and he had mentioned TikTok in passing just a couple of times, but he never really explained what it was and the word kind of caught my attention. And you know, he was saying this was a great place to be. So I just quickly Googled it and then I downloaded it, had a quick peek and I actually really liked it the first time I opened it. It just was such a fun, unique place to be. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll give it a challenge. Gary says it's good, might as well try it out. So. Mm -hmm. We weren't really sure what we wanted to do with it, um, but we just thought, you know, we'll try our first few posts just to get some attention. Uh, so we jumped on a couple trends that TikTok had, and our first post on TikTok got more attention than any other post we had ever posted on any other social media channel. Right. So I was like, you know, it was it was exciting, but I thought, okay, maybe it's just the Peter Pan thing where the platform gives new users a little bit of a boost. But we kept going, and then we kept seeing that there was interest. And our second, uh, second video went viral, and I think our fifth and seventh video went viral. And so what we decided at the time was we can use this platform to educate people about bees and beekeeping because like a lot of farming industries, there are a lot of misconceptions about what goes on. And we did see that in the comments, especially because TikTok's a younger audience. We were seeing a lot of strange comments like free the bees, stop hurting the bees. And I had no idea what these people thought we were doing, but I just knew that we had to show them, look guys, here's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and also I think it's a great opportunity because there's a lot of separation between customers and farmers uh, and we need to close that gap. And so we made it our mission to use TikTok to do that. And eventually we will use TikTok to show more um, beekeeping techniques and kind of training, little training things for new beekeepers. Um, we do a little bit of that, but for right now, uh, we, we're making such a positive difference just talking to customers about uh, what we do that like we're hooked and we love it. And we still, we, I mean, we still post on there, hoping once we have some new footage here. But yeah, I guess it's just, you know, the, the winter time, you couldn't, uh, you, you sort of had stockpiled a whole bunch of clips from the summer and then just sort of spread them out through the winter. Um, but it, yeah, that's, it's great to, to hear that, um, you're able to, uh, jump on and ride that wave. You know, I had a, a friend, uh, who was a musician drummer and, uh, yeah, he just, I, uh, myself and a couple others told him, Hey, you got to get on this app. Uh, he, you know, posted a couple videos and he had one that just hit viral and got like a thousand followers in a week. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm hooked. So, uh, uh, what would you say to, to, you know, business owners or people who are uh, interested in, in using the app for, for personal branding or for education, uh, what, what are some tips that you would give for, for uh, growth and also usage? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first thing is you definitely need to spend some time watching the videos before you post. TikTok is a very different culture from the other social media apps. There are sort of some expectations there. And if you can, if you can fit in with the culture, your videos will do much better than if you say, just take something from Instagram and transfer it over to TikTok. Um, watching is definitely the number one tip. The other thing I would say is post often as often as you can, but also try as many different things as you can. There's so many challenges you can jump on that means you basically don't have to think too hard about what you're gonna post. If you're stuck for something, find something that's trending and just make your own version of it. Put a twist on it that makes sense for your business or for you. And people will generally respond well to it. And um, the other thing is if you're, you know, if you're stuck, you can use trending sounds as well. If you use a trending sound that will give you a boost, 
but also just have fun. So TikTok is not a serious platform, but you can still use it for serious business. If you want to sell, don't do hard selling. Basically show people the processes of making your product, show them something cool your product can do, but you definitely don't need to have, you know, banners saying 50% off or like, and you have the option to have a bio a link in your bio now. So selling is a lot easier on TikTok now. But it um, is a great place to be. And I do hear a lot of a lot of people will say, well, the majority of people on TikTok are under 30. So, you know, there's no place for my business that focuses on older people. And although it is true that the majority are under 30, you they should realize that the majority actually just means 60%. And so 40% of people are over 30. And I mean, that's great. Considering how many people are on TikTok, that's a lot of people. So don't focus too much on the fact that there's 60% less than 30. Mm -hmm. Focus on your customers because they are there. You know, there's doctors, lawyers, real estate agents, every profession exists on TikTok. And if, you know, you can join in and basically you can become part of the community, you'll do well. Right. And I mean, you know, Facebook started off as majority under 30 and now is majority over 50. Exactly. And I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. And I think getting in while the getting is good is probably the best strategy. And I mean, for us, we have seen in the last month or so, there's definitely, it's definitely become a lot harder to gain followers and to get attention on TikTok. So things are changing all the time, but it's still a good time to get in. Don't wait until everybody's over 50 because then only a hundred people are going to see your post. <laughs> right. So, um, one thing I want to ask is, uh, what, what, what is the, would you say is the biggest struggle that you've had to go through in your, in your career or, uh, in, in studying or just in your life in general, maybe, uh, like in your business, uh, with, you know, uh, uh, running your business. Um, so the, there's two struggles. I mean, the first one for me personally was really coming to that realization that although I spent seven years in university, that perhaps I would not be using that degree um, as much as I had hoped going forward. You know, um, it was it's something that I think a lot of people do struggle with. You put a lot of effort, you put a lot of money and time in and then you get to the end of it, you get into industry and something in your mind tells you that this just might not be right for you. And it took a little while for me to really sort that out and figure out what I can do to fix it. Um, and for anybody struggling with that, I just, I guess all I can recommend is really do some soul searching and figure out what it is that makes you happy. And just because you spent four years in your early 20s studying something, it doesn't mean that you're paw committed to it for the rest of your life. There's always room for growth and there's always room for change. And I don't regret getting my degree. I mean, it definitely helped me in a lot of ways. I mean, I have basic understanding of biological processes and it, learned, it did teach me discipline and it taught me a lot about myself. Um, so it's not, it's not always wasted. In terms of our business, I think the biggest struggle with our business is that although we might have a really good summer, really good year, um, there's always the possibility that the winter will come and take it away. So we have to stay humble and we have to stay prepared because a lot of hives here can die in the winter. Um, the average is around between 15 and 20% of your hives are expected to die each winter here. 
we've done much better or there was one year we lost half of our hives. It was one of the worst record, uh, worst winters in recorded history. So, you know, you can take those huge blows and you're also constantly dealing with other changes like diseases. So it's, it's something that taught us very quickly. We need to have a backup plan and we also need to always just keep it in our head that nature is going to keep us humble. So it's, it's a constant battle and I suspect that it always will be. It's, it's unfortunately just one of the things that you have to deal with when you're a beekeeper, but we can make it a little bit better by making sure that we have done the research and we're using science-based beekeeping techniques to make sure we're preparing our bees as best as possible for the winter. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. It, now, would you say that the, um, the, you know, trying to figure out the summer and the winter, would you say that's your biggest struggle that, right now? Or like, what, what would you say that is one of the, the biggest struggles and problems that you're currently facing? Um, so at this exact moment, we do have some issues that are as a result of coronavirus, obviously. Right. Um, but in general, there are a couple issues that plague beekeepers here. And one of them is that um, a lot of the honey being imported from overseas is fake. And because it's fake, they can sell it for a lot cheaper. Uh, but nobody, like people don't know that it's fake. It's fraudulent. And so basically what that's doing is it's driving down the price of honey which is having a huge effect on local beekeepers here who just, they can't sell it for that price and still hope to run a business. So that is something that um, the public is starting to become more aware of. And it's also something that we are trying to educate the public on because there are a lot of misconceptions about how you can tell if honey is fake or um, how much fake honey there is. And it turns out that on supermarket shelves, there is a lot of fake honey and there have been some recent studies to show that. So, I mean, that is a huge issue um, and then, of course, beekeepers are always dealing with various changes in legislation. Uh, so, for example, generally we would export our queens to the U.S. if we could, but the border is currently close to that. So, you know, it's like all things in agriculture, it's subject to change. Um, it's just you have to stay on top of it and kind of dealing with um, it's not just the local industry. Unfortunately, like we are dealing with um, consequences based on what's happening overseas. Right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, you know, um, I have this, I started this podcast so that people can listen to, to uh, struggles that people are currently facing so that they feel like they're not alone uh, in, in, you know, uh, feeling uh, uncertain or feeling overwhelmed. Um, what are some advice that, that you would you would give to, to someone uh, who might be feeling that way. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's a really great mission for a podcast because I think a lot of people get into entrepreneurship and they don't realize that just because you're struggling, it doesn't mean you're failing. And that was something that we learned right away. You know, I thought, you know, we're working a lot of hours and I feel like we're, we're running into like problems everywhere. Does that mean we're doing something wrong? And I don't think that it does. I think that it just needs to be more well known that this is hard, like this will be the hardest thing you've ever done. And it's not just hard for you, it's hard for other people in your life as well, because you know there might be weeks when you're in a really horrible mood. And of course that affects the people around you. So just don't be so hard on yourself, you know? Remember that it's hard for everybody. And especially those first couple of years, 
they were so hard and you know we were working constantly to set up the business like the first year when you're setting up your website you're doing your branding those are tough years but just know that that will pass and that there's a huge supportive um, community especially in places like LinkedIn so we joined LinkedIn this last year and it's been fantastic because I think a lot of entrepreneurs on there are talking about these struggles and they are finding ways to show people, you know, how to get, how to work through them. And every specific problem, of course, has a specific solution. But I think overall, I would just say, keep going and just don't get discouraged. If you have a good business plan and you're passionate and it seems like it's starting to at least work, keep going because it's just the name of the game, especially in the early years. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, yeah, I think that that's actually excellent advice to anyone listening who is uh, uh, just started uh, in in their current venture, in their current business, um, to, to realize that it, it's going to be tough. Uh, and, you know, it's not supposed to be easy. But, um, you know, if you are able to stick through it, and you, um, you really do enjoy it, and uh, you are able to uh, uh, find that community to uh, of, of supporters uh, that um, you will be able to, to come out of this all right. Also, if you listen to this podcast, maybe share it with your friends. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, looking into, uh, we talked about uh, your past and your current, looking into the future, what, uh, what does your, uh, your, your future look like? Uh, or at least what's, what are some goals that you have um, uh, for whether it's short-term or whether it's long-term goals? Sure. So yeah, we, I mean, we're always expanding. We're still expanding our business, you know, because we, we did do it slowly in the beginning. Um, So we're always looking for ways that we can grow more efficiently, ways that we can grow um, in ways that are financially viable. And something that we are working on right now is uh, trying to hire out more tasks to people because for the first couple of years, we did everything ourselves. You know, we did all the logo design, label design, everything. And we became overwhelmed and you know some of our more experienced entrepreneur friends told us straight from the start you should outsource stuff that you can outsource but you know we weren't ready and now we're kind of starting to get to a place where we are able to start hiring people to help us with stuff and it is making a huge difference and so we're kind of just practicing getting stronger with that mindset that yes we should hire someone to do this yes it's okay to spend the money because it ultimately frees us up to do things that are more important. You know, we should be working on business growth. We shouldn't be working on necessarily um, designing labels because we're not very good at it. Mm-hmm. So that is where we're going and just kind of trying to ultimately fit the business and the life um, aspects together to be more harmonious, which is something that we have gotten a lot better at, but I, th- I think it's a constant struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's, you know, a story of the life of an entrepreneur. Exactly. And, you know, setting limits for ourselves as well, because, you know, for a long time, whenever we had spare a spare minute, we were working on the business. And I mean, we loved it. And it was great. It's not like it was torture. But I think mentally, you do need to take breaks for yourself. And it's hard. Um, But it does take a toll on your health if you're not careful. So just keeping an eye on that and trying to find more balance. Right. And I think that's, I guess that's where the outsourcing can definitely help. Exactly. In, in that, so that you're working uh, uh, on your, yeah, on your business, not in your business, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, if you are looking for a, a video editor, you know where to find one. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely <laughs> keep you in mind. Hoping right. to get some more videos this year. Video was never something we focused on previously, but with it being so popular these days, it's something yeah. that we're going to take more seriously. Yeah. I, yeah. Excellent. So um, is there anything else you would like to say before we uh, finish off the podcast? Um, I guess just kind of what I said before, if you're an entrepreneur and you're struggling, don't suffer alone. Um, don't be so hard on yourself. Find a community of people who will support you and talk to them. And they can either help you find a solution or they can help change your mindset. And ultimately, if you have a healthy mindset, you're going to be able to work harder for your business and for the rest of your life too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Where can we find you uh, online? Yeah, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Just search for Revival Queen Bees. Or if you want to connect with me personally on LinkedIn, uh, Chevelle Stevens is where you can find me. Awesome. And I'll include all of those links down in the description and the show notes. Um, Chevelle, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome to be here and chat with you.